Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your co-hosts, Jess Geyer. I am one half of Wannabe Games, a tabletop RPG designer and GM and all the things that come along with that. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. I'm Craig. Uh, Craig Campbell. Um, I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and I am also a role-playing game uh, designer and publisher, and I've done a bunch of freelancing and all that kind of fun stuff. And with us today is our special guest co-host, Derek Kamal. And Derek, you also have some interesting news to share with us today, too. Yes, we have. Uh, well, first of all, hi, I'm Derek, and I run Shoreless Skies Publishing. And we are in the midst of our latest Kickstarter, which is Heavy Metal Thunder Mouse Beyond Thunder City. And that is a, a setting book to go with the original Heavy Metal Thunder Mouse book. And it's got all fresh art and new worlds for the game written by some very imaginative uh, designers who I think we all know. And uh, yeah, that's on Kickstarter now. So I'm very excited about it. And I'm very excited to be on your show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. What What is Heavy Metal Thunder Mouse? I honestly sounds amazing, but I have not heard of it. It is. Uh, I was going to say it's exactly how it sounds, but that's not the case at all. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a fate-based fate game wherein uh the the kind of tagline is it's the the fate rpg of mice and their motorcycle clubs so uh many of us have read the mouse and the motorcycle so it's like that plus sons of anarchy um so you make a mouse and then at the table you collectively uh following the the usual fate rules you make your motorcycle club slash gang depending on how hardcore or cute you want to keep it and then uh, you just tell awesome tales of adventure, riding a pint-sized motorcycle around a human-sized city and, you know, escaping mobs of cockroaches and getting into fights with rival clubs and dodging humans and all that kind of good stuff. So that launched uh, about, uh, it was 2018, so I guess it's about three years ago now. And um, as part of that uh, initial Kickstarter, the stretch goals were to uh, have some additional settings outside because the, the main setting in the, in the text is like a contemporary American city. And so we had some great ideas from some remar remarkable writers like Mr. Craig Campbell. And, uh, <laughs> we only got to publish two of those. So this is our way of like kind of restoking the fire of heavy metal Thunder Mouse and getting the rest of those settings published in printed form uh, and illustrated. So for people to enjoy. Oh, that sounds cute and awesome. And you said it, heavy metal Thunder Mouse. That does sound exactly like what I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, there's a I, musical element too. So like when you say heavy metal, you know, people might assume like you're in like a mouse death metal band, but it's it's biker action, which is pretty metal. Right. Well, in, if you know your if you know your classic rock, heavy metal Thunder is out of what song, Derek? Uh, Steppenwolf's um, Born to Be Wild. Get your motor and rock, get your motor running, head out on the yeah. highway. Heavy metal thunder. Heavy metal thunder, <laughs> which they say was one of the original, uh, the origins of the genre of heavy metal music, but that's up for debate. That, that case in particular, they were talking about motorcycles, but um, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a quick note, because Derek is being modest, I would like to point out that we're not just talking about Heavy Metal Thunder Mouse. We are talking about the Emmy Award winning well, Heavy Metal Thunder mean, Mouse, I um, mean. which, it, yeah, won an Emmy for uh, Best Family Game. Yes. Yes, you're correct. Yeah. That came out in 2018. Yeah. So I was very, very pleased with that. Well, that's awesome. And good luck to you on your, your Kickstarter. Thank you. And uh, Craig, 
would you like to explain a little bit what RPG R&D is all about and get us into our first topic? Sure, we have a two-pronged attack today. Uh, the first prong is GMing oriented and the second prong is game design oriented. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about a GMing thing. And uh, this was actually a suggestion from Derek when we talked to him about being on the show like many, many moons ago, um, which was like how to deal with burnout as a GM. Um, and I think there's a lot that can be said about that because um, in addition to just like ways of dealing and, and, and getting around burnout, um, there's a lot of different types of burnout, right? There's burnout from GMing in general and just ha having that particular load on you. Um, there's burnout from that particular game that you're playing at the time. There's burnout from ideas. Like maybe you want to keep GMing, you want to keep playing that game, but you just can't come up with a good story. And it's just like you hit the wall and it's like the players are, are ready and raring to go. Um, and you're, you're just not ready um, to present something more for the story. So um, let's talk a little bit about, about, about all of that. What do, uh, what do all of you do to deal with burnout of various types? That's it's a hot topic right now, burnout and self care and everything, not just in in tabletop gaming, but in life in general. I mean, we're constantly on the go and everything. And being a GM is a it's a responsibility. It's a lot of stuff you have, kind of have to track. You know, you have to come up with your world. You have to come up with your games. And then when you're actually at the table, you're kind of on. Like you have to flip the on switch and be on for all of your players. There's not a time where you can kind of zone out, you know, and that, that can be a lot of energy that you're pouring into, um, into a game for me. Um, you know, I've, I've been lucky not to suffer too much from burnout in, in jamming in particular, because it is actually my method of not burning out in other areas of my life. Um, but I have had the times where I'm like, I don't want to play this particular game anymore. This is, it's this game, it's rules. I'm done with it. I wish I could take all of these characters and port them into a new system without upsetting the whole um, balance. So I don't actually have a lot of strategies. I don't have a lot of tools in my toolbox for, for dealing with that kind of stuff because it happens to me so rarely. I haven't had to deal with it that much. I think what you said about self-care in general applies because uh a lot of those tools that people are discovering they're almost forced to discover them now times being uh what they are yeah they kind of apply to gming as well and i think probably the first thing uh that i might suggest is what craig was just talking about is kind of understand why you're burning out because if you hit that wall and you feel like oh my gosh i don't really want to do this or as you said jess i don't really want to do this particular game um but that's what that's at least you know what you're why you're burning out. Some people just have that blanket feeling of like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this right now. And so if you can kind of sit down and think about why uh, you're feeling that way, then I think that's kind of like the first step in, in addressing um, burnout as a GM. I really dig the idea, Jess. You made the comment about how like you're just you're just you've had it with that particular game, and you wish you could port the characters somewhere. Um, because you've got players who have their characters that they've developed that they really enjoy. Um, and, you know, assuming you have a game and you have players that kind of are conducive to this, 
what's wrong with just taking those characters and slapping them into a different world, have them go through a portal <laughs> or, 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 you know, use a, uh, some sort of, you know, crazy space travel time machine thing. Um, you know, a, a genre machine instead of a time machine and just take them somewhere else and then have the, have the players, like the players can have the fun of taking the character that they created for this game and saying, okay, well, what would this person look like in this other game? If, are, are there certain things that I can kind of recreate with the rules that that game provides? Are there other things that I would just have to be like, well, I, I can't really recreate, um, you know, a staff of the Magi, but I, my character could have a cool, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a cool item, you know, piece of cyberware if you're in a cyber tech game, right? That That is just kind of like um, a unique, really cool, powerful thing um, that would be fitting to your character um, in a cyber uh, cyber tech game. So like that right there, there you go. Like if you got players that are on board for it, you can just set, step aside and say, all right, everybody jumps into a portal and ends up in th th uh, Thunder City. <laughs> um, and they're mice now. Um, or, you know, um, you can, uh, uh, sometimes it can be the heaviness of the campaign that's going like you, it, you know, the game right. has, cer has certain things kind of attached to it. And so you're, you're dealing with all those things. And so if you're playing a terribly serious game, you might stay in the same system and have the characters go into something that's going to be like, oh, now we're going to have like this adventure where it's the same characters. We're going to use the same system, but it's not going to be all that heavy that we've been dealing with. And we're going to do something comedic and very light and fluffy. I've I've done that before. I've done a beach day episode, like the, the trope <laughs> in anime where like, oh, it's all these characters and everything, but they're at the beach and nothing bad will happen Yeah, because I had they're a, at the beach. I had a campaign where the characters were basically, it was a D&D &D game where they were, over the course of the campaign, bringing um, sorceress magic back to the world. They were like, uh, this was like when third edition first came out and like sor sorcerer's magic wasn't really you know, like I, I made it not part of the game. And then I, they, you know, like they, they engaged in things that caused it to be available in the world again. Um, and at one point, just as a, as a sidetrack to just kind of um, take the edge off of like the fact that they were kind of being hunted by some people. Um, they, they, they uh, shipwrecked their boat or, uh, you know, beached their boat on an Island where the entire adventure was built built around um, fairy tales, um, uh, not fairy tales, uh, nursery rhymes. Like there was, there was a king in the counting house counting on his money, and there was a queen in the parlor eating bread and honey, and they had to figure out all these little puzzle things that had to, that came out of these nursery rhymes. I like but, that. That's fun. Um, That's fun. <laughs> and it, yeah, I just did a session or two with that, and like just just like got a breather from what the campaign was initially about um that may not work for something like oh call of cthulhu like you could really break the feel of the game entirely if you went super comedic for an episode of call of cthulhu but um you know for certain games it's an option i have to wonder too if not necessarily shifting tone like you're talking about moving into something comedic but still keeping the the spirit of shifting the um taking a break from the main story and changing the game a little bit mechanically where at least in our group, my main group, oftentimes we're just trying to progress the story, but with what you're talking about, it's very fun and, and interesting and cool and gives a kind of shot in the arm to the, uh, a, a lagging campaign. If you do kind of have a more puzzle oriented um, session so like when we played the one ring for a long time, cause I'm a Tolkien junkie and um, 
we had this huge campaign we were trying to do. And we were constantly moving along and trying to hold back the forces of darkness. But then we um, spent most of a session one time just doing a riddle game. So anything like that, you know, even if you don't necessarily want to pour it over to a different genre or a different system entirely, or if you don't want to break the tone, you could still um, have a session, almost like a mini game session, like you're talking about, where it's you can change up the mechanics from uh, the usual role playing to, like I said, something puzzle based or riddles or, or things like that, which can provide a lot of fun. And that's a really good way to refill the well, so to speak, because when you start running out of ideas or you, you start running out of steam, going somewhere else can help generate some better ideas for you or just allow you to start pulling from a different well while you're replenishing the one that you you, you run your main game in. Um, and it's, it's good to have a little bit of diversity in what you're doing in any aspect of your life, but especially when you're a GM too. I'm just kind of mixing it up like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely have done, like I said, I've done the beach day episode. I have done like mini game type um, episodes, so to speak for, for my, for my players before too. And it's also helpful for them to avoid the burnout because players can suffer burnout too when they're, you know, you know, they've, they've had the same kind of stories happen to them time and time mm-hmm. again, or they're, they're undergoing a lot of stress from something that's going on in the game. Like, like Craig, you mentioned characters being hunted down, like that, that can be really stressful. You kind of want like a tension break um, if that fits the genre and if it's not kind of what you're going for. Yeah. I, I, I really like, that's a really good strategy. I think, I think that that is, should definitely be something all GMs can throw in their their toolbox and and get ready to break out when um, they're suffering from that kind of fatigue. And even the throwing in, you know, just a total one shot of something else. If you're at a good break in your campaign, I think it's great because that allows you, as you were just saying, Jess, to to try something else, uh, maybe in a more light genre. That's something we've been going through as a group is we all, uh, we shifted to Pathfinder a couple of years ago with some one shots interspersed in between. And because I'm, I'm not going to call myself lazy because I'm not a lazy GM, but because I don't like prep, we were just going with the um, base or whatever campaign was available on Roll20, which was all about political intrigue. And after a while, we were like, wait, we just like goofing around. We don't want to, uh, you know, be manipulating, you know, the courts of such and such kingdom and da, 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 da. What? Why? <laughs> I right. That's just not their, yeah. their jam, which is fine, you know. Um, and so we're going to be moving away from that particular campaign. Uh, but what we would do in the interim is just play these one shots of games like a uh, moon punk or things like that. Um, and w- what that allowed me to do was one to catch my breath, but also to divvy up the responsibilities and let somebody else GM for a couple sessions, um, which was whenever. OK, so I'm a bit of a latecomer when it comes to RPGs. I only started in earnest like maybe 10 years ago, maybe less than that. I tried playing when I was a kid. I couldn't get any of my magic nerd friends to play D&D with me. Um, and so 90% of my time at the table is as GM. And so getting to step away and play as a player is both a nice breather and also a good mm-hmm. reminder of why I like to GM because mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I have control issues. And I when I'm just one character on the screen, <laughs> I'm kind of like, okay, okay. But I would kind of like to be on more for one reason or another. Um, and that divvying up of the responsibilities can extend to not just taking a break and letting someone else GM, but also to 
giving other players, especially because my, like I said, my main group is very large. There's, there's six players, there's seven now. There's a lot of players. Wow. And there's so, so many he's lost track. Yeah. 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 We're pushing double digits. Uh, <laughs> but it gives them something else to do and it takes some of the load off me. So like one person's the note taker, uh, things like that, where we kind of feel like we're a monolith sometimes as GMs. Um, but players, especially in a larger group where the spotlight is not always on a, you as a player, um, having some other job can be fun for them and, and uh, take some of the burden off of you as GM. Oh yeah. Delegating responsibilities is really vital because I, I, we've talked about this before too. Usually the GM, it's usually their house that this game is taking place at. Yeah. You know, you're right. So you're hosting in addition to running the game. So like being able to delegate stuff out, like, okay, I can't do all of this at once. Someone else needs to take notes, giving someone that responsibility. Someone needs to be in charge of getting everybody's schedules. (laughs) You need to do that. Not me because I have all this other prep work um, that don't feel like you have to do everything. Like like you said, Derek, you said that um, you have some control issues. (laughs) to being that and I think a lot of GMs might <laughs> might see themselves in that um but you have to learn how to let go of of the things that um aren't like that are stressing you out and give those duties to other people um, that, another that, good yeah. one another good one if uh as far as divvying out some of your GM responsibilities to help kind of lighten the load um and make it less likely that you will specifically burn out um in the moment you know in the role is um if you've got a player that knows the game inside and out, they're the rules person. Yes, we've um, done that with you're, our Pathfinder. You're group. running the game. A question comes up about the rules. You say, hey, rules player, look that up. I'm going to continue the scene with these people. We'll jump back to, you know, with like the party split or whatever. Like, we'll go, we'll, I'll jump to these characters for a little bit. You'll check that rule thing. We'll come back when we cut scenes back and, and we'll oh, have it sure. squared away. Rather mm-hmm. than you having to take the break and, and like basically stopping the game while uh, people look stuff up. Um, yeah, that, or, that's or everybody races <laughs> to find <Right>. the rule, <laughs> which also just, you know, just stops the game in its tracks. Um, so yeah. if you can, if you have a way, um, if you've got one or one or even two players, so that way, even if, you know, like if the issue comes up with the rules uh, savvy player, you've got another player in the group that like really knows the game um, and wants to double check something like, yeah, you can, you can hand that off and keep the game moving um, while somebody else looks up, you know, how to grapple in third edition. And Derek, right, yeah. <laughs> Derek, you mentioned too that you like intersperse some of your campaigns with one shots and that like that's an opportunity for you to sit back as a player sometimes. That I I love that strategy too. Let somebody else GM for a while. There's probably someone at your table who's like who wants to get their feet wet a little bit and it doesn't have to be a very long campaign. You can say like, "Hey, George, how about like, I need love George. Yeah. Everyone loves George. Uh, three sessions. I got three sessions of a break. I want to take this time off while I prep for the campaign. You've been talking about wanting to do this weird campaign with mice and motorcycles. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's get on that. Um, and, uh, yeah, that again, like that's a way to replenish your well too. You get to see the ideas of other people and then you're probably sitting there like, oh man, I could have done this better. Ooh, I like that voice. I'm going to steal that idea. Yes, exactly. Um, stealing ideas from your players and, and then transforming them into something awesome for your players later on down the line when you are the GM. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The power of one shots. There are so many great one shots out there. Um, yeah. And especially when, cause I have one main group, I don't get to do that many other groups. But having one main group that eats up a lot of my time, not a lot mm-hmm. of my time, uh, but that is kind of the only time I have for tabletop 
is the one shots um, let me feel like I'm still getting to taste other games rather than just our main game. Uh, Cause there's so many doggone games out there. So even just as a practice of um, getting to try newer games or other games that you've never tried, that's uh, a lot of fun too. You can also have like a board game night or other, other kinds of like, you don't ha- always have to be playing role-playing games with your role-playing group, um, having those times where you can get to know each other in different ways. Um, I, watch, I love uh, watch movies in yeah. the genre of the game you're playing mm-hmm. to help it helps spark ideas while also kind of keeping kind of in the theme yeah there's there's all sorts of of stuff you can do to actually give yourself a break um and then you can you know if you, especially if you have a heavy prep um campaign allowing yourself to kind of break that up into a longer amount of time um right. divide that instead of having to rush prep for every week, you feel like you can get a little bit more behind you. Um, how am I explaining that? I'm explaining this very poorly. Yeah, like you prep ahead of time, like you're, you're, you're doing your meal prep. So you don't have to <laughs> panic and wait and figure out like what you're going to eat the day of. Yeah, um, giving yourself some breathing room. Yeah, it's, you, you need to make sure that you schedule that kind of time. And I, when I get really into gaming, like, the I just moved so I left this group but we would play for like six hours every week that's a lot of time to be playing it was like a part-time job um and (laughs) that yeah you have to make sure that you're building in some time where you're maybe not doing that every week what I I I came up with something really tricky do you want to hear something really tricky yes tricky yeah Okay, so you're playing your game, you want to take a little break, you're going to do like a three, we're going to take a break, we hit a break point in the campaign, you've got a group that really likes this particular system. They like, you know, the game that the the type of game that they're playing, um, the system that they're playing, Um, have uh, one of your other players run like, a, you know, it could be a one shot, it could be two, three episode, you know, session, two, three session, um, little mini something with totally different characters. have those characters be uh, slightly higher level or power or whatever than the games that you're playing um, and have them uh, have the campaign be something that's kind of a po stands in opposition in some way. You could be playing the naughty characters, the evil characters, whatever. <laughs> mirror and universe run, episode. And then you run yeah. all of that stuff, uh, not mirror universe, like brand new characters, run all that stuff. And then when that campaign is done, when that campaign is done, um, collect the character sheets from the from all your players and the and the evil character that you just played and said okay these are the villains coming up and set them aside or don't tell them that and just yeah, that's great uh, i love that like they, they just they you got a chance to get away from uh gming you don't have to create all the characters for these villains that are going to get used down the road um you've got f- fully fleshed out character you know villain characters with you know all their abilities and their magic items and superpowers and whatever um and everybody had a chance to be invested in that. Like, like I created this, you know, horrible character, this horrible, evil, bad anti-paladin, whatever. Um, and now I'm going to have to fight him. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's really go. fun. I'm, I'm definitely stealing that. Uh, there is the, uh, I really like Pathfinder, uh, their, their adventure paths a lot. Um, and my favorite one to play is that it has kind of like, it's not really a mirror, but like on one side, you are good people fighting in the evil country, Chiliax. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. I usually have it at the tip of my tongue. Um, and then in the the parallel campaign, you are evil characters trying to stop 
paladins that are like it, it's like the stuff that's happening around in the background of the same adventure path that's cool. um so there are already um it, it's so noisy on my street i'm sorry listeners if you can hear all this noise i don't know what's going on there's like unpacking and things happening <laughs> if you can hear that i'll try to edit out as much as i can but it's distracting me um anyway uh so it's it's there are those um pre-made uh, adventure paths and modules and things that you can find as a GM, which is another good strategy to reduce your burnout by just borrowing material um, that can let you do this, do some stuff like that, not just in Pathfinder, but in all sorts of games. Something else that I, I'd like to go back to what Craig was saying about the rules person. I think for me, it was vital to have that rule person especially when we, we switched to Pathfinder because for a while, because Pathfinder is so dense and I don't do well uh, with those kind of rules heavy oh, yeah. systems. Um, I feel like I'm reading the tax code or something. Uh, <laughs> but one thing that kind of cropped up in me and then this whole element of addressing burnout is kind of, it's a bit more about like emotional self-care kind of thing was uh, not being, um, as Craig, you talked about like not, you know, not needing that control. And that was something I recognized in myself was like, I want to be, the guy I want to know the rules and I want to have the story uh, built into my head and, and, and be able to um, address things very quickly and, and keep the action rolling and things like that. But I think that uh, I had to really let go of that as time went on, because I just couldn't do that, especially with Pathfinder. So Pathfinder broke me. Um, oh. <laughs> but, uh, but it, and that also has to do with uh, being your own worst critic, because a lot of times we would play uh, and my wife would be like, oh my gosh, that was so much fun. I'd be like, yeah, I could have done this better. I feel like people didn't have as much fun as last time, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, having that feedback from my wife as a player was very helpful because she could just mm. say, no, mm -hmm. I didn't see it that way. I think everybody had a good time, yada, yada, yada. Um, and part of it was like, our group is so big that sometimes people are like, you know, they're on their phones or whatever, because we split the party. And um, in my mind, I'm like, oh, no, they're having such a bad time, whereas they're just simply waiting for their turn. Uh, so having right. some feedback from the players be like, no, we're, we're actually having fun. And me being able to accept that for what it is, uh, and kind of let go of what I can't control, uh, and trust that if there's an issue, we're going to talk about it, um, was big for me in addressing my own burnout, because I think so much of it was almost like performance anxiety where um, I would think, oh man, last time this didn't do, wasn't so hot, or I thought it wasn't that good, even though everybody else had a good time, would create a certain amount of tension in me going into game night. And there's enough going on that we don't need tension in game night. Game night should be fun. Uh, so that might be something that GMs who are experiencing some burnout might want to think about is what is, um, what are your expectations of yourself? And are those realistic? And are they correct? Um, because if you can get past those, then you might have a lot more fun and um, take some undue pressure off yourself as well. You're, you're exactly right. The, the game night shouldn't be, it shouldn't be something that stresses you out. We're supposed to be having fun in these games. Right. Um, it, it's uh, unfortunately, it's, it's really hard to train yourself to, you know, really think about what the, the emotions you're feeling. And like you said, the expectations you're setting for yourself, like sometimes that's, sometimes those are strategies that people take years in therapy to, yeah. to like get yeah. down. Um, but, but looking up those strategies, like, okay, journaling is a good way to do it. 
Um, soliciting feedback. You mentioned soliciting feedback, even if it feels like you're fishing for compliments, but just getting some of that positive affirmation can really help positively affirming yourself. Like I am a good GM. Look at this fun time. I just set up for my, my friends. We had a great time. Um, all of those like strategies that you would use for work, um, meditation, deep breathing before a game, um, like using those strategies will help you, you know, release the tension if you're feeling it. But if you are feeling a lot of tension, really look into why. Because if, if, again, if, if it's something that's stressing you out, that's going to have a negative impact on your health. You don't want to continue that. Right. And it might seem silly to some people to talk about game night in that way. But when you but tabletop RPGs in particular are so different from Mm -hmm. other mediums of gaming, whether it's uh, video games or or even tabletop board games, because it's, it's face-to-face interaction the whole time. Right. And uh, there's not that medium of, there's obviously the rules and the setting and the character sheets and the dice, but there's not that medium of the the board or the video game where uh, the players kind of go through to get to each other. And so, you know, if you don't think about those things or if you're not aware of them, then that's when a lot of games can kind of crash and burn is if uh, people are, you know, experiencing tension with each other uh, and it's not being resolved or uh, they're feeling feelings on their own and they're not resolved. Then that's mm-hmm. kind of when a game can very quickly fizzle out. So it, even though it might sound like um, unusual to talk about those kind of self-care things in relation to tabletop RPGs and GMing, it's uh, also it can be vitally important if you are having um, some difficulties. Yeah, I don't think that people should, like, if you are feeling stressed because of your game, it, you don't, I don't think that you should think about it like, oh my gosh, I'm being so silly. This is a game that is supposed to be fun. Why am I feeling stressed out about it? Um, Like doing that causes you a disservice. For so many of us, tabletop games are, you know, it is an outlet. It's a hobby. For some of us, it's a job or at least a side hustle. Like it is an important part of our lives that we are dedicating hours of our time to, of course, just like any other thing in our life as humans that we're dedicating time to, it could cause you stress. It can cause, you know, you want to make sure that you are not compartmentalizing, but, but taking care of that part of your, of your life and making sure that part of your life is healthy and fun and safe. And it's uh, going back, uh, thinking about Jess's comment about um, not fishing for compliments um, when you ask players their, for their, for their feedback, there's two points. Um, you can, you, you know, as the GM, when you ask them for feedback on the game, you can tell them I'm not fishing for compliments. I'm specifically hoping to get feedback to alleviate my own concerns that are, you know, that I'm worried about right. that are potentially going to lead to burnout. I want to alleviate that so that I don't burn out for you. Mm-hmm. And you can frame it also in the way of it. And then also ask them, are you as the players feeling burned out about this game is, mm-hmm. do we want to, as a group shift gears and play something else for a little while, or do a board game week next week and just put this aside for a little bit, because especially in games where it's very heavy. Yeah. Um, if yeah. there's, if it's, if it's role play heavy, or if it's very dark stuff where the characters, you know, where everybody's kind of on and feeling the weight of the game a lot. Um, you know, you can phrase it, you can, you can kind of phrase it and point it in that direction too, so that it's, it's just you talking to the players and saying, Hey, like, like it's, it's all part of checking in. Right. Yeah. And if those conversations are difficult or awkward, you could do a Google uh, form and, and just email it out and be like, how are you feeling about the campaign? Does, do you want to try a different genre? You know, you can um, make it anonymous. 
Hey, make it anonymous. Yeah. If you're an, a non-confrontational person, you can just send that out there and not actually have to have those conversations if it's uh, mm -hmm. that, not that kind of group. And as a player too, um, because a lot of us as GMs are also players, think about your GM and, and say nice things to them and let them know when you're having fun and, you know, maybe give them a gift on GM's day, <laughs> do all those fun things. <laughs> make sure, because you as a player, you also have responsibility to make sure that everyone at the table, including your GM, um, is having fun, you know, and feeling, feeling good about it. Yeah. Well, are we uh are we burned out on that topic? No, I think we're ready to switch to that next topic. <laughs> um, all right. Uh it's story time, right, Jess? What are we doing here? Yeah, everyone loves story time. <laughs> it's show and tell. Everyone take out your <laughs> okay. Now, did all the designers on the panel, did you all bring a story to share? today um yeah that's basically we thought we would uh, all three of us have um worked in you know publishing games and designing games um in various capacities um for you know at least a couple years um for me it's coming up on five um which i am you know flabbergasts me um for me it's that the company has existed for five years but i thought we would share just um, for designers' uh, interests, um, potential designer interests, just some of the interesting things that we've run into as um, designers and publishers in the RPG industry. Who wants to start? I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> oh, you, you made me um, wonder how long it's been since I started freelancing in tabletop games. And... I started freelancing in 1999. Oh, <laughs> was I was I was eight. There were there were big <laughs> there were big breaks. There were big breaks in, in some of those early years. But my very first paid freelance gig was ninety nine. I think my first published credit was twenty sixteen. That sounds about right. Nice. But yeah, I've been I've been gaming since middle school. Um, so two thousand four ish, two thousand three, two thousand four. I think nice. was my first game. Uh, but yeah, I, who, who who would like to start with that sure, story time? In. Yeah. <laughs> the year was 1900 and doobly-doo. Uh, no, I, I think one thing that would be fun to talk about is my my first experience at a convention as a designer slash publisher. It would be uh, Gen Con 2016 because um, at Gen Con 2015, I went to... It's funny because I was there mostly because of a card game I really enjoyed, but I wound up on a panel, at a panel with um, our friend Eloy LaSanta and a couple other uh, designers who I would later meet. And they were talking about um, uh, how to uh, publish RPGs. And they made it sound like so simple and straightforward and fun that I was like, I'm gonna do that. That's how they get you. <laughs> I need to send it's a, a strongly share. worded letter. They do a one hour <laughs> seminar and they make it sound so easy. <laughs> that alloy. Um, and so after that, I immediately started, started freelancing and I started working on the dig, which was my first game. And, um, and so Gen Con 2016 was when I, I was in the IGDN and I had a book to bring to Gen Con and sell at the IGDN booth 
which was so good and so fun. And just the um, camaraderie among the designers, mm-hmm. uh, getting to run games with strangers and have them respond positively to this thing you made. And um, the general vibe of, uh, of a convention, even just an absolute monster like Gen Con. Um, I think it might've been the same panel uh, with that in 2015 where, uh, and unfortunately I can't remember her name, but uh, this guy was there with his son and he brought up the fact that some kids have been making fun of his son for like nerdy stuff for like having, I guess he brought some D and D books to school or something along those lines. And the, this person said uh, in response to um, the prompt, she said, uh, they don't have conventions for being a jerk. Uh, at this convention, they have conventions for cool stuff like RPGs where we can all nerd out together and uh, be kind to each other um, and enjoy our, for lack of a better word, fandom together. But there isn't such a thing for being a jerk. And I thought that was so great. And it was that uh, same feeling uh, where everyone is just celebrating gaming together. Or like, you know, we, we just had Dragon Con here in Atlanta and everybody's selling, celebrating wearing funky costumes. <laughs> and uh, just that feeling of togetherness where you feel like you're in the midst of your people uh, and getting to know so many other great designers and to connect with uh, players and um, to kind of see the industry from a different angle as someone who was beginning to write and produce their own stuff was... Um, was so fun. So I got to meet so many people who I only met them that one time. Like we had a big IGDN dinner uh, that year. And so I got to meet some people who I really like and appreciate like Mark Diaz Truman and and Epidiah and uh, lots of other writers. And like just that one moment of connection with them uh, was so huge and important for me. And even though I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen those guys in person since, like just having that point of connection and having them as people I could go to and ask questions of and um, see them as peers, I think um, get put a lot of gas in my tank as a designer, uh, feeling that I was actually part of a community rather than just, uh, kind of a lone wolf in it. Um, which was anyway, so that was a great early experience for me in the, um, in the self-publishing days. Yeah, I, I had a very similar, um, experience getting into publishing, getting into making my own games. Um, cause I, when I moved to Indiana to go to college, I went out randomly to go to an Adventures League thing for, it was 40 at the time. And uh, I, met a, I met a person there who immediately took a liking to me and he started giving me all this role-playing stuff. He's like, okay, you're going to run this campaign now. We're going to do some, some of this. And I like, became friends with him. And uh, eventually he's like, oh, well, I have this, um, this tabletop game that, that we've, we've kickstarted. Um, it's Baker Street. It's Sherlock Holmes stuff. I want you to write for me. I want you to write some mysteries and things like that. Uh, so I started getting in that way. Uh, but it was it it wasn't until I started going to conventions and started uh, I GM'd a lot for both Fear Light Games and for um, Clockwork Dominion as well, um, the Reliquary Game Studios. Uh, that when I started hanging out with these game designers and they were talking about games and, and publishing games and coming up with new ideas that I was like, oh, there's no one, like, there's not a, I don't have to go to school for this. There's not a license. There's not an exam I have to take. You can just do it. 
and no one's stopping you. <laughs> that's great. And these people are having a lot of fun with it. And I'm, I want to be able to say like, Oh, well, with my game, we can blah, blah, blah. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, it was, uh, on the Joko cruise 2019. Yes. Cause it was before the pandemic. Um, Alex and I, my, my fiance and the other half of one of the games, uh, we decided like, well, let's try making our own game. Let's, let's, let's try making our own game from scratch. New rule set. This is not the game that we came out with. Um, because it wasn't, we, we talked to people, um, about our game idea and we realized, oh, maybe it is a little harder than, <laughs> than just coming up with an idea and writing it down. Um, so we started with the idea of making a game kind of based on the moon is a harsh, the moon is a harsh mistress. And, uh, that's how we came out with, uh, moon punk, um, was, was using another system instead, um, using a powered by the apocalypse system. But I think for me, just the experience of, of being able to be around other game designers and they're not just people who have a name in a book they they yeah. are people who want to have fun and that they are friendly and they are collegiate and and they want you to join their club too so because misery loves company uh so it, it's like going to those conventions and and being a member of groups um the IGDN um celebrations when those can happen in person again those they're they're so great um it just it, it it really makes you feel like you're you know you're part of a community and the community wants you there that's it's so affirming yeah that's the word we we step back to 1999 <laughs> as i said my first dipping of the toe into design um that was Living Greyhawk. When Living Grey, when third edition had just come out, Living Greyhawk started, um, and every part of the, you know, all the different states and different parts of the world were broken up in diff different regions in Greyhawk. Um, and I was living, uh, I was uh, an architecture student in Milwaukee, um, and one of the people that I got to know through playing Magic was Jason Bowman, um, who was also an architecture student. Uh, he designed Pathfinder, everybody, um, and. Uh, we he he got involved in being uh, a member of the circle or no a member of the one of the the wisconsin triad like the three people who were in charge of the high folk region for living greyhawk and they the first season they had eight adventures the normal seasons they had four the first season they had eight um and we he got to the eighth one and he said hey craig you come up with cool ideas you want to write one down for money and um i said okay and i wrote uh, an adventure called winter tears which uh for which i got paid Fifty dollars wow. American, fifty yeah. American dollars in nineteen ninety nine. That's nineteen ninety nine dollars. That's nineteen ninety nine money. Yeah. So it's maybe close to a hundred um, nowadays. Uh, but the point being, uh, yeah, well, they, you know, uh, Living Greyhawk was not terribly well funded, and they took the entire world of Earth and broke them up into different places and had multiple adventures um, per region, plus bunch a bunch of core adventures that they did every year for years. So their, their pay rate was like, mm. but, um, and I've, for the record, I've looked back and uh, reread that uh, first adventure, um, low these many years later, and uh, it's not well-written. It just isn't. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. For the record. And that's kind of the point I want to make for um, burgeoning RPG designers out there is that you've probably come up with some things that 
um, maybe weren't, you know, didn't like they didn't hold together perfectly, or maybe you don't feel that confident about uh, your actual writing um, and, and use of grammar and, and, you know, like you, you miss punctuation and all that sort of thing. Um, like you or can it was just that. a bad idea. <laughs> or 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 it was just executed poorly or whatever mm -hmm. right there's like it just doesn't all it all it doesn't always work out perfectly um and that's okay um i've heard people make the comments i've heard i've heard it from game designers but i've also heard it plenty from movie makers and and novelists and so forth is that you know like that first thing that first creative thing that you make whatever it is pick a you know pick a genre of create of creativity it's probably gonna suck it's it's or it, or it's not going to be as good as what it could be um and then you know down the road you'll look back at it and say but that was an important step because if i didn't have that step i didn't get to the next one and to the next one and that got me to here um so uh and i've i've had you know multiple designer types say when when, when i told them the story about how like ah, winter tears was not terribly well written they've <laughs> said they've said that exact thing but he's like he, and then, you know, i had somebody who said like a few years ago said yeah but capers is Right. And capers wouldn't exist if I hadn't started freelancing. Right. You got to start somewhere. Somewhere along the line. Yep. Yeah. I don't think the first the first creative effort anyone gives in any medium is good. Like we all start off by doing stick figures. You know, some people <laughs> might end at stick figures, but, you know, other people. It's going to be a lot of stinkers. There's yeah. going to be stinkers in the mid run. <laughs> it's true yeah there, there's some of the things i've, I've written that i'm like oh, that's just, this is terrible uh, getting getting that feedback too again like the the whole wonderful thing about being part of a community was it wasn't until i started talking about my first game idea with alex and other people that i was like well alex i think we should maybe put put a little plug on that and maybe come back to it later and work on something that we can handle and will maybe be better um <laughs> So I, yeah, it was, it was smart. We, we started doing um, one shot RPGs first, just to kind of stretch our, stretch our muscles and look at different rule things and see what we could do and test my design skills. Um, but, but getting outside feedback is, is really important and joining a community is, is a good way to do that. Um, you know, Craig, back in 1999, um, my mom worked at a bookstore uh, and I would go to the bookstore all the time and I would sit and I would read books um, in front of this poster. It was a, it was a unicorn with a little dragon. The unicorn was standing on this dragon. The unicorn had blood on its horn because it had just gored this dragon and killed it. And I would, I would sit there in the. I know, that was the children's room poster. That's a cool <laughs> and, bookstore. Um, <laughs> and it was just like a little bookstore in my hometown. And I would read books. And every day I would go up to the counter. They had this glass display of all the magic cards, and I'd be like, Mom these cards look so cool. I want to get a, I want to get a pack of these cards. My mom would say, no, you don't even know what they are, but I would look at them and I would stare at them for hours. And it wasn't until I was in college that I, and well, when I had my own money and my own source of income and stuff that I could buy those magic cards. Um, and then I learned about all the lore behind them. And that's kind of what propelled me into um, like playing a lot more D and D when I got to college because I almost dropped off. I, I didn't play for a whole year um, when I got to college, but uh, it was my my desire to tell my mom, well, I understand them now, and I can totally play these <laughs> now. I would go to that Friday Night sure. Magic, and that's how, I, that's how I figured out that they had um, <clears throat> their uh, Adventures League there at the game store. Um, 
but yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I think a lot about my, my experiences as a kid and, and, and the places that it's led me as a designer and as a creator, like, um, uh, getting, um, a Nintendo 64 that my dad bought secondhand from somebody and it came with uh, legend of Zelda Ocarina of time. Uh, but somebody's save was already in it. And I loaded up that save and I was in the shadow temple, uh, which is a terrifying place to start off in, in a game when you're like eight. Um, but I think about stuff like that all the time. Like, Oh, I wonder would I have been, would I be into fantasy as much if I hadn't run around in, in, in this forest in this video game forest for hours as a child, not knowing where I was, or if I, if I didn't see the bloody unicorn poster <laughs> as a child that traumatized me, but I loved anyway. <laughs> like, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. I just wanted to share the bloody unicorn story. <laughs> story. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible at storytelling. I ramble. <laughs> oh, I'm the worst. I, I've given up on that. Like, I think the GMing thing gives me a frame for telling stories so I can mm -hmm. kind of like tap into that. But when I'm just trying to explain what I did over the weekend, it's just like, I just kind of swerve the car until I crash into a bridge and Buttman. And that's my story. <laughs> <laughs> um, story from my freelancing when um, I was for, for a while, I freelanced a bunch for uh, wizards of the coast for dungeon and dragon online for fourth edition. Um, and there came a point where I was doing quite a bit of freelancing and uh, the, the, the folks at Watsi decided um, like they, they get the slush pile, right? The pile of submissions from people and, you know, 95% of the more than that, probably um, not, you know, 99% yeah, of, of submissions don't get accepted. And they were, there were things that they wanted to see, but nobody was submitting them. So what they did was they collected a bunch of their regular um uh, more regular uh, freelancers and sent them a list and said, here's like a title and a blurb for a bunch of things that we think would be interesting to have in the, in the magazines. And we're, we're, they're not necessarily going to get all of them, but they asked like, Hey, are, is there anything you're interested in writing? Um, and so I pitched in, you know, I, I, I threw in for a couple of things. And one of the ones that I did was I wanted to challenge myself again. It comes back to like, I've talked about this a lot damn near everything I do when I make, when I get the choice, it's because I'm challenging myself to do something that's every one of the games I've made has been a challenge to myself. Um, it's a Midwestern grit. Yeah. Something like that. Um, but it was, it was a 20,000 word adventure, um, called Baba Yaka's dancing hut. And they wanted to bring, um, a, a an old dragon magazine back before there was dungeon, um, adventure, and from second edition, I believe, first or second edition, and transpose it into fourth edition. Um, and uh, it was going to be, it would be a 20,000 word adventure. And so I said, I've never written anything that long. I'm going to challenge myself to write something that long and complex. And it's also an adaptation. Um, so I pitched, I, you know, I threw in for it. They came back, they gave it to me and they said, but it's going to be 15,000 words. I was like, all right, that's still bigger than anything I've written. So fine. I outlined the thing. I sent the outline out to Chris Perkins, got it approved. Um, you know, I studied the, the old adventure inside and out. I started writing and I was getting, um, I was, you know, I was several pages into it and I was like, this is never going to fit in 15,000 words. If they want me to transpose the entire adventure, because the, the, the hut has like 56 rooms in it. It's, um, you know, and everyone gets a map and um, there's the encounters and everything that's in there. And there's stat blocks that are all part of it. Um, or sorry, there's 48 rooms, but still. Um, 
I'm actually looking at the thing. It's 56 pages. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, yeah. And uh, so uh, I said, 15,000 words isn't going to do it. And they said, uh, Chris said, okay, make it 20. And I kept writing and writing and writing. And I sent him an email. I said, 20,000 words ain't going to cut it, Chris. He said, okay, make it 25. Um, and it, this happened two more times. And they bumped it to like, I think 27 or 28 and then to 30. Um, so what was going to be a 20,000 word adventure became a 30,000 word. And I wrote the whole thing and got it in 30,000 words. Um, uh, play tested it with a group at home. Um, I met with Chris when I went to visit Seattle to, to visit a friend. Um, and I got together with Chris and we sat down and talked it through rather than trying to do 17 email back and forths to, <laughs> to review it. Um, and then I went back and I made revisions and I submitted it. And I was like, ah, 30,000 words, look at that. And then a couple months later, they came back and said, we need, um, uh, uh, we need you to add um, tactics. If you remember fourth edition adventures in Dungeon Magazine, they always had like a little couple paragraphs for tactics of what the creatures would do yeah. in different combats. So I went and wrote the tactics and added, made it 31,000 words. Um, and um, I am sure that it got trimmed and you know stuff got uh, got tightened up and all that sort of thing and it became a 56 page um adventure which was like two-thirds of the magazine um that month and it was a long magazine to begin with um i'm not sure what the what the you know the point or the uh, uh the moral of that particular story <laughs> is, but it's one of the more interesting moments for me with freelancing where it was just like um, uh, that, I guess the thing, the thing, the thing to take out of that was it was for a digital magazine. So it could be whatever size it wanted to be. And as long as they wanted to pay the money, they could pay the money and I could just keep, keep getting bigger and bigger. I kind of wonder if I could have asked for more words <laughs> to this day. I'm like, how far do you think they would have let me go? <laughs> and I have I to wonder if the lesson Chris. there is, is for freelancers to not be afraid to negotiate in that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, with, when you're, if you, if you are freelancing, um, if you're, if you've been given a specific word count, um, you know, try to hit, you know, hit that word count. But if you realize that like, there's a problem with hitting that word count, either, either over or, or uh, over or under talk to the, to the, you know, your producer, whoever it is, um, the publisher, the designer, and, um, see what can be done to modify that. It might mean trimming some things out of the outline, maybe, um, saving some stuff for a supplement, um, maybe getting rid of one or two things that's like, okay, well, these are the weakest parts of like what we were planning. Let's do something else. Um, or, and it, it might turn into being a little bit more, um, but it's, yeah, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Talk to communicate with like, don't ask, don't do it five times. Like I did <laughs> <laughs> ask once, but I was, I was, you know, the, the justification I have for it is I was asked to adapt a specific adventure right? and it right. was very big to begin with. So I kept coming back to them. Uh, and there may have come a point where they might've said, nope, 25,000 words is all you get. And then I would have had to find a way to make it fit. And that's also my responsibility. Right. Um, so there would have been a lot of trimming. <laughs> yeah. My, my biggest freelance challenge was writing the tournament of the golden arrow, but from the like it was for other Robin Hood-esque, like merry men type people. And that's a story that everybody knows. You know, everyone knows Robin Hood dresses up. He goes to the tournament. He gets found out. He gets caught. You know, like that is how the story goes. He splits the arrow in twain. 
Um, but I had to write it from uh, a different perspective and make it an adventure module. And that was really tough. It was really scary too, because that's, you know, it's the Robin Hood story. It's the one everyone knows. And if you mess it up, you're going to have a bunch of angry people be like, that's not how, <laughs> that's not how that's supposed to work. And it had, you know, I had to make it feel not railroady while at the same time go to a specific endpoint. It was a really tough challenge for me. Um, but it's, it's one of the ones I'm most proud of because I feel like I managed it in a way that still made it seem fun, still made it seem like we don't know what exactly is going to happen um, while still capturing the, um, the quote-unquote original story because, you know, there are lots of versions of it um, pretty well. But writing, writing uh, like what you were doing, Craig, like that, that's really challenging stuff. Taking something that already exists, which is half of the freelancing opportunities you get as a writer, taking something that already exists and adapting it, it's tough. And that's the fun of freelancing, really. Like you don't, well, number one, you don't, you're not responsible. So that's nice. Yeah. I find <laughs> the more Kickstarters I do, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm the project manager. I believe myself yeah. to be, um, mm-hmm. but also that the challenge of, it's almost like a puzzle. You have to make it what they want fit into the word count and, and kind of maintain your voice as a writer too. So that's, it's kind of the fun challenge of freelancing. Oh yeah. It's a lot of fun. I would really recommend anyone who wants to get into, um, you know, designing games, try out a little bit of freelancing. There are usually people who are looking for, you know, mm-hmm. something or you could always, um, I haven't done this yet, but you can publish your stuff um, on your own, like little adventure modules and and uh, playbooks and stuff like that. You can always try your hand at it. There's, and there's say, no- as we've said, like the RPG world is a lot more open. Yeah. I mean, everybody's helping each other out and everybody's broke. So it's a lot more open if you if you're a writer and you want to be a right capital w writer which you're frustrated with kind of the um the publishing industrial complex as i am then getting into freelance writing is a great way to get some experience under your belt working for other people and to get your stuff out there without having to to jump through the hoops of um traditional publishing or novels right. and agents and all that kind of stuff exactly do a zine quest something like that Just, quest, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Craig talked me into that. I'm doing that in February. Me too. Me too. It'll be my first time. Me too. I'm deciding between three things. (laughs) I'm not (laughs) sure what I'm going to do. Classic Craig. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) I've got to make the decision soon because I got to get working. (laughs) Well, this is, uh, do we we have any other stories to share before I wrap things up a little bit? Maybe a great story will come out of, a Kickstarter that's going on right now. Derek, thank yeah. you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was so um, fun. And uh, what's that Kickstarter again? Heavy Metal Thunder Mouse Beyond Thunder City. No doubt it is on the front page of Kickstarter by now. Uh, but if it's not, <laughs> if it's not, you can find me on Twitter at Shoreless Skies, uh, or you can just probably search up Heavy Metal Thunder Mouse on um, Kickstarter. And I would appreciate, even if you just give me 50 cents, I would appreciate it. Well, yeah, thanks again, Derek, for, for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Joska, or you can find my games at wannabegames.com. We, we just got a sneak peek. We got our first sketch for the Kickstarter image for our new game coming out. I'm so excited. Um, I, I forgot that we had an artist working on it until Alex showed <laughs> it to me this morning. He's like, hey, just, just come, come look, come look at what we got. I was like, Oh, that looks really neat. I love those moments. 
uh, where something's in the back of your mind because I've been sick and I've been, you know, um, in my first two weeks of teaching hasn't even been on my radar. I got a little pick me up this morning. So (laughs) anyway, you can follow me there. Uh, and I'm Craig Campbell. You can find me at NerdBurgerCraig on Twitter. Um, the website is NerdBurgerGames.com and there's uh, all the games are at DriveThruRPG.com. Um, in a little bit, uh, a little later this month, um, we're going to open up uh, event sign up for NerdBurgerCon, which will happen on the 16th and 17th of October. So keep an eye on keep an eye out on my Twitter for when I announce that it should be around September 21st that we will start uh, signups. Um, and every single person on this panel today is running at least one game at NerdBurgerCon. Yes. Um, and I would assume, presumably, we're all running games that we have designed. <laughs> presumably, I, I yeah. So. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to that. I really appreciate the truck outside my, my listeners. I apologize for the audio quality (laughs) on my end, (laughs) but anyway, thank you all for listening and we'll see you back here next time. Bye guys. Bye. Hey everybody, it's Jess again. I just wanted to make sure that I'm giving proper credit to the song that we used in our opening and closing. That was Avil by Steph Sachs, which was licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks, Steph Sachs.